0: all right everybody so we're in right in the very middle uh, of our new series um so i guess it's not near anymore but we're right in the middle of our our series called the epic story and we are taking a look at the narrative of what god is up to starting in the old testament going back from starting in genesis 1. and uh, you can go back and listen to all of those on our blog on our website westseattlechristian.church and see all the videos and if you just prefer audio it's on there itunes all that stuff so um, we're picking up where we left off last week and we are in genesis 15 and this is the point where uh god has made promises to abraham and abraham is finally like he's getting old he's he's pretty old and he is starting to question god and he's basically like okay What are you really going to do what you said you were going to do? And so God comes back to him, says to him, Abraham, I want to do something with you uh, that's quite special. I want to make a covenant with you. And this is this is what is called a blood covenant in the ancient world. This is not a, a like a contractual agreement between friends who are on the same level or peer to peer. This is a greater covenant partner and a lesser covenant partner. And what Abraham does, what what God asked him to do is take a bunch of animals. You can look at this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. Take a bunch of animals and cut them in half. And he basically makes an aisle where he can walk down the middle of it. I know it sounds kind of gross. He lays out the halves of these two of animals in two uh, rows so that he can walk down kind of in a line. And the greater party in the covenant gets to set the terms of the deal. And the lesser has to walk through the halves of the animals, stating the terms of the agreement. Um, And the lesser basically says, I agree to these terms. And if I fail, may this, this line of animals that are cut apart and, and have been killed, they're all cut up. He says, if I fail to keep up my end of the covenant, may this, Happened to me. So, this is serious business. And God says, Let's do this. And Abraham cuts up the animals. And where we left it last week is this Abraham refuses to go in. He is wondering, Is the promise of God secure? And I drew some implications for us, namely that we are always continually, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're kind of asking the same question, I think. I think it's only natural. You've promised uh, things to me, God, and are you going to make good on those promises? Uh, Are you really with me? Are you really for me? Uh, You say, God, that if I pledge my faith to you, you've got my back. So is God's promise secure? That's the question that we ended with last week. And how we answer that question says a lot about how you and I put God on display in the world. Now... Here's why this is important in this narrative interplay between God and Abraham, and it's also between us and God. Here's the deal. God knows that Abraham can never uphold this covenant. He cannot, the terms have been set and he cannot keep up his end of the bargain. He And so Abraham stops before he walks through. And he knows, because he knows as soon as he walks through between those animals into that blood, he knows he's dead. He's dead. There's no way you can measure up to a covenant with God. Maybe you know exactly what that feels like, how that felt for Abraham in that moment. You've maybe felt that way. Uh, And so Abraham, as the story continues, he sits on a hill and vultures have come. And he's driven them off because, why have they come? Because there's all these animals there. And God causes Abraham to fall asleep. And this is in Genesis 15, verse 12. And this terrible darkness comes over him and he has a dream. And in the dream, there's a smoking pot and a flaming torch that come to him. Now, in the Bible, whenever there is fire, flame, smoke, coals, these are always a picture of the presence of God, always, every time. And so in the dream, the smoking pot goes through it kind of floats through uh the the two halves of the animals it it walks the line it goes right down the aisle but then what's interesting is the flaming torch which is also a symbol of the presence of god it goes through that aisle as well and what god is saying to abraham is this look i know that you cannot uphold your end of the deal and if and when you fail i My presence has just walked through this aisle. I will uphold your part of the covenant. I will take your punishment when you fail. I know that you don't understand how in the world I'll pull off this promise. And I know that you're fearful that if you let me down, I'm going to bail on on the promise that I've made to be a blessing. I've, I've said that you're going to be a blessing to the whole world through your offspring. And he says, I will do it for you. If you fail and you will, I will carry out your part and I will take your punishment. And basically he's saying, is the promise secure now? Yes, the promise is secure. So the question that I wrestle with, with this is uh, how does God choose the people that he wants to be a blessing with? That he wants to give blessings through to others? I want you to stay with me here for a moment while we fast forward it here in the narrative there's this really interesting part of the of the continuing story that happens in Genesis 21 it's a big comparison between Hagar and Ishmael on one hand and Sarah and Isaac uh, on the other and if you're not familiar you can just keep reading from Genesis 15 and go all the way through to the end if you will but um, uh, Hagar Uh, is uh, a slave woman to Abraham, and he is concerned that God's promise isn't going to be fulfilled. And so he has a son with, with, with Hagar named Ishmael. And then later on, Hagar sees that Ishmael is getting picked on, and she goes out in the desert, and Ishmael is about to die because of exposure. And so she puts him under a bush, and I think it says he, he, she goes about a bow shot away. So, you know, imagine a bow and letting it go. She goes about a bow shot away. And I, in my mind, this is like she goes just far enough away so that she can't hear him crying anymore. Now, I want you to think about this. And she's, she's just waiting for him to die. I think about that as a, as a father. Uh, I think about that. Uh, if, if you're a mom, what are the odds that you would ever do something like that? I mean, I really, when you read this part of the story, I go, I don't even, I don't get this. My wife and every other single mom I know would give their life in a second for their kids. So this story, it seems to just not even make sense until you compare it with what happens right after that with Abraham and Isaac, which also doesn't make sense. It's one of my least favorite stories in the the Old Testament scriptures when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And Abraham is full of turmoil, and his son is crying out to him, Abraham says, here I am. And the Hebrew word here is hinene. This phrase hinene means here I am, here am I. And this phrase in the Old Testament is the common denominator, the linchpin for every single person that God uses in the Bible. So, you know, there's that comparison between those two stories. It's a, it's a, it's a structure uh, that is used as a rhetorical device to get the, the reader to pay attention. Uh, what's going on between Hagar and Ishmael and what's going on between uh, Abraham and Isaac and how those look different as they trust God for what his promise is going to be. The, the phrase there, "Hinene," here I am, if you do a concordance search in your Bible, uh, of the Bible for that phrase, you can just go to uh, BibleGateway.com. It's one of my favorite websites to do research on. You type in, here I am, and you'll see all these instances where it shows up. And it's amazing because it's all of these pivotal moments when, where God's people or a person that God is calling, they're, they really define themselves as a servant of God or his people define themselves as God's people every time this phrase is used. Why is, a, is God willing to use a guy like Abraham? It's simply because he's willing to show up and say, here I am, when other people won't. He's willing to take God at his word when other people think it's dumb, other people think it's stupid to take God at his word. What is the kind of person that God wants to use? It's the person who's willing to show up. It's the person who says, God, I don't understand how you're going to do this, but I trust you that you will do it. And what I love about Abraham's story is that we watch him mess up and not be perfect. We see him do actually some horrible things, His righteousness is not why God uses him. And frankly, I love that because what we like to do is we we get a little piece of understanding about somebody in the Bible and based on who they are, we like to assume all the rest about that person. So is this person all good or all bad? Well, that's not really how life works, is it? You're not all good and not all bad. I'm not all good and not all bad. Like David, for example, King David in the scriptures, a man after God's own heart, was he all good or was he all bad? So the question we have to wrestle with is this, does the person that God uses, do they have to be all good? Or do they have to have it all together? Or do they have to have it all figured out? And the answer is no. No. What they have to be willing to do is when God calls, they show up and they say, here I am. Here I am. And if you're willing to be that person, no matter how crazy the promise is, God will fulfill it. He will fulfill it. His promise is secure that way. How many of us will stay the course? That's the question. Are you willing to show up? So I wanna leave you with a few thoughts, a few implications from this. Number one, it's very evident that God is still looking for partners in this world. And the good news is, is he, wants, he wants to make your name great too. If you go back two weeks and listen to the week, the week's message from last week, he wants to make your your name great so that you can be a blessing to others. Do you have to be all good All with it and all together and have everything uh, perfect in your life to get it no all you have to be willing to do is show up when he calls when he, he he is still looking for partners and he and he is calling people to do good works with him number two those who do become his partners change the world by constantly investing in other people around them You are called to be a blessing to people. God's blessing isn't just for you. You're to transfer blessing to others. You don't just live right and be a righteous person and be good and not pass it on to other people. You change the neighborhood and the world by investing in people in a relational way. And that's what God wants for us. So I'll leave you with this question. Uh, after those two implication points, where are you partnering with God in the world? Where are the places? It's not enough to have some good ideas that we don't act on. Where are some actual places that you are investing and partnering with God to change the world? And if you don't have a place, maybe it's time to say, Henene, Henene, here I am. Maybe it's time for you to cry out, here I am, God. Uh, Maybe you're like, I'm tired of wondering where you are, God. If you've ever had that thought, like, where are you, God? Uh, I'm tired of missing out on the blessings that you've promised. I'm tired of coasting through life with no purpose or mission or reason. Henene, here I am, use me. It's really weird and really awesome how God shows up when we do that.